God was magic, right? But Jesus was just a man. And what I loved about Jesus was he was kind and he, he was brave. And I thought he was amazing. There's great wisdom in the teachings of Jesus. We have a narrative sense of the world. For me, that's been the world of morality. We treat it like it's real. It's not the objective world, but the narrative and the objective world touch. And the ultimate example of that in principle is supposed to be Christ. I mean, I don't really know if he was real or not. He's got all the powers and stuff, but um, he's not God for me. Everyone needs a leader in their life. So I feel like we're worshiping worship the same God, but we're giving it, giving it a different name. It's a story that's manifested over generations. Hello, uh, my name is Neville. I'm one of the leaders here at Emmanuel Church. And uh, today, I'm going to be opening up the scriptures once more. And actually, what is the last uh, of our series of around 10 weeks of a series we called Virtual Jesus, where we've been looking at what did Jesus actually say about himself? He made a number of statements where he said, I am, I am the door, I am the good shepherd, I am the resurrection and the life. And the thing is, it's important because we always need our vision of Jesus shaped and helped and, and corrected. We're always growing in our knowledge of him. That would certainly be my testimony. After following Jesus for like four decades, I would say, I know I haven't got to the end of searching out the riches and the depths of the wisdom of Jesus Christ. And I was thinking as we've gone through this series and as we come to the end of it, it's a bit like you can think of the Gospels as, as like, uh, maybe like biographies, but they're only focused on very certain aspects. So with Jesus, John writes at the end of his uh, gospel about Jesus, he, he said the whole world couldn't contain the books that could be written about him. So we're just getting certain aspects. And as I think about it, when you read the biographies of people, even the most heroic and well thought of people, their flaws are definitely exposed. And someone can look great, but actually close scrutiny doesn't quite bear that out. And that will be the same in almost all biographies. And, and I believe that's true for us too, if we're really honest, and that we can present a very good side of ourselves to each other. And we might not leave any flaws showing, uh, but actually, if you ask the people who see our lives most closely, they could tell you a few things. But the thing is, as we go through this series week by week, what I'm realizing is the more that you look at Jesus, the closer you examine him, the more you put him under the microscope, as it were, the more his perfection is shown, not his imperfections exposed. You just see more and more of his perfection. And as we've reflected already in the series, it will be the beauty of Jesus that will satisfy us eternally. Eternity is about forever being in the glory of God. And Paul, the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, that the light of the knowledge of the glory of God is in the face of Jesus Christ. It's seen in Jesus. But I guess that's one of the struggles of this life is that we don't see Jesus now as we will one day when we'll be with him. We'll be with him face to face and be with him forever. And Paul also writes in his first letter to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians 13, 12, he says this, he says, for now 
we see through a glass darkly. But then, the day that's coming, it'll be face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know, even as I am also known. And when he talks about seeing through a glass darkly, what he's really talking about is, is, is like a mirror. They used to use very shiny, the most shiny reflective metal to try and get something back so they could see, see themselves in this shiny reflective metal. But it was a very distorted, unclear view. And Paul's saying that's a bit like our view of Jesus. Jesus has shown thing to, things to us and wonderful things, but it doesn't compare to what's coming when we're going to see him face to face and be with him forever. And we have to live our lives with that struggle. See, that's why it's so important now that we see Jesus with the eyes of faith. And our faith is informed by scripture in the Bible. What we can know about Jesus is clear. I think it is laid out for us, but it takes concentration and effort. And that's what we've been trying to do week by week. And that's what we've been encouraging you to do for yourselves. Pick up the scriptures and look and look and look again at Jesus and what he's saying about himself. I guess I'd be encouraging us all to pray something like, show me Jesus. Show me his beauty. May my mind be informed and my heart be transformed by the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So what we're going to do today, we're going to look at one last I am statement. It's not one of the famous seven uh, that we've been looking at, but it is the final time he says the words I am before he goes to the cross. And it helps to tie many of the themes together. So now we're going to hear read to us a passage from John Chapter 18, verses 1 through to 11. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Okay, so I want to draw out uh, some things I see about Jesus in this passage. It's quite a dramatic passage. Uh, and the first thing I want to say about Jesus here is that I see calmness in a moment of crisis you see it's sometimes said that you find out what people are really like in a crisis will they crumble is off the expression or, or will they stand strong and that's been a bit 
crude because there's a lot in between that. As people say, and I think there's a contemporary version on television today. Endless celebrity reality shows where you either send them to the jungle or you put them on SAS training and find out what they're really like. How much pressure can they take? You deprive them of food, you deprive them of sleep, you make them do horrible things, eat horrible things, do horrible things, confront them with their worst fears and put them with people they don't really get on with and have never met before. And let's see what happens to them. <laughs> will they crack? Who, who will survive? Who will last the longest? There seems to be a fascination about this. If we come back to this passage, here is Jesus. He's set upon in the dark of night by a group of soldiers with torches and weapons. He's betrayed by one of his disciples. What's he going to do? Is he going to fight back? Peter wants to and actually does. You see, Jesus has every right to send angels to disarm these soldiers. He has every right to be very strong with Judas for terrible betrayal. But what we see here is Jesus from this passage in total control. Jesus says this in verse 4, then Jesus, sorry, Jesus doesn't say this, but this is what the Bible says about Jesus. He says, then Jesus, knowing all what would happen to him. Jesus isn't getting taken by surprise here. He's not going, he's not shocked. Jesus knows everything that's going to happen to him. He speaks and the soldiers fall to the ground. He takes the initiative. He hands himself over willingly. It's important. People, people can say, Jesus, it's just the first, Jesus is a terrible victim. Terrible things have been done to him. But that doesn't stand up to what Jesus has already said. So when we looked at John 10, and we looked at the passage there about Jesus uh, being the good shepherd, and actually it also says, I'm the good shepherd. He also says, I'm the door. What it says in the first half of verse 18 of John 10 is, Jesus says, no one takes my life away from me. I give my own life freely. That's what we see playing out in this passage. Jesus is calm. He's in control. See, they've come to capture him, but he tells them what's going to happen. You notice this. And they follow him. Uh, he kind of says, take me. You won't take them. That's the disciples. And even when Peter acts rashly and attacks a soldier and cuts his ear off, Jesus miraculously undoes the damage. Jesus' death is going to happen Jesus' way. No one else will go with him and no one else can walk the path that he has to walk. See, at verse 9, he says, of, of, of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Verse 10 says, he says this, he's a question. He says, shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? He's saying, of course I am. The cup means his death on the cross and he's taking of all the sins of the world. He's being punished on the cross for the sins of the world. He says, well, I'm not going to drink the cup. Of course I am. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to submit to the will of my Father, but I'm doing it willingly. I decided to follow the path to Calvary. You see, this is the thing. Whenever we meet a friend, I think the mood they are in kind of shapes our interaction with them. Are they stressed? Are they anxious? Are they excited? Are they depressed? 
when we come to Jesus, friends, he's always in control. He's never too busy. He's never a victim of circumstance. He's never rushed off his feet and he never says come back later. He faces his own betrayal with faithfulness, peace, steadiness, and an absolute submission to the will of his Father in heaven. It's comforting. I want to encourage you today. It's comforting. I find it comforting to bring our often worried lives to an unworried saviour. That's what I see in this passage. You know, Jesus hasn't changed. He's not worried. He's not caught off guard. Come today with your worries and your cares to a saviour that's in control, isn't worried. Come to him in prayer. He's here. He's with us. Let him speak his I am. I am he over us today. So I was reflecting on this in Psalm 46. It's a psalm in Psalm 46 is a psalm about tumult, trouble. Nations are in uproar. Kings are in uproar. Things are changing. There's huge, there's, there's, there's huge challenges. God's people are, where are we going to go? What's going to happen next? What's happening in the world? The world's in uproar. And what's God's answer very close to the end of Psalm 46? What does God say? God says this. He says, be still. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. That's what he's saying to us today. And Jesus says, I am he. Whatever you're facing, you come to a saviour that isn't troubled, that's saying, not try harder. Don't come up with your own answers. Don't try some clever ideas. How about being still? And knowing, knowing that I am God. That's what Psalm 46 encourages us to do, tells us to do. Be still in the midst of tumult and uproar and change. Oh, the sand's shifting under my feet. I'm not sure it's steady. Be still. Be like Jesus is here in control. Knowing who he is, knowing what he's come to do. Be still and know that I am God. So we've looked at calmness in a moment of crisis. Secondly, just move to, what does Jesus say here? He doesn't say a lot. What does he say? A particular phrase, an answer he gives in verse 5. Jesus said to them, they're asking, are you Jesus of Nazareth? And Jesus goes, I am, I am he, it's translated as. Probably a more accurate translation in the Greek is just I am. It's interesting, it's the same Greek Ego I me, that actually is used in John 8, 58, where we actually started the series, when he's asked, he starts to compare himself to Abraham. He says, before Abraham was, I am. He's saying, I'm God. And he says, they picked up stones to throw at him. He uses the same Greek here. Now, we don't know exactly what happens. We, don't know the, we, we know the soldiers fall down, so something is going on here. When Jesus replies and says, I am, I don't think he's going, yeah, it's me. Uh, yeah, hello, Jesus. Yeah, you're looking for Jesus? Yeah, he's over here. I think something more profound is happening here. Jesus says, I am, and you've got soldiers with weapons falling on the ground. They fall down. What's happening? Something of the glory of Jesus, who he really is, must be shining through in the darkness. 
something's happening. Soldiers with weapons don't just fall to the ground for no reason. It's happened before. You see, most of the time Jesus went around doing many, many miracles, turning regions upside down. But when people started to work out who he really was, he normally told them to be quiet because the time hadn't come yet for that to be revealed. There's a few moments, though, that I've thought about where this happens. Early on, very early on, when Jesus meets Simon Peter for the first time and calls him to be his disciple, uh, they've been out fishing all night and caught nothing. And Jesus turns up and says, uh, push out into deeper water and kind of, Simon Peter's going, no, no, we caught nothing. Jesus says, like, push out into deeper water. And as they do that, there's so much fish being caught in the nets that another boat has to come out and they're getting the fish in out of two boats. And there's so much fish, the boats are starting to sink. And what does Simon Peter do? Interesting. He says to Jesus, get away from me because I am a sinful man. There's something of the glory of Jesus coming through. And Peter's had some revelation. He's like, I'm in the presence of holiness here. There's something other than me here. This is different. And it, it, his own sin, he's aware of his own sin. He's in the presence of perfection, this God-man. At the time you see it on the Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus is transfigured up this mountain with Moses and Elijah appear, and Jesus, it says, is shining white brilliance. And as she says, the people there, they, they're Simon Peter's terrified. He starts to babble on. He starts to say silly things like, shall we put a tent up for you? And Moses and Elijah, and he's just terrified. It's like something's happening. Oh, there's a glimpse of who Jesus really is. And I think that's happening here. Now, I don't know whether it's Jesus's voice that does it. I, I, I don't know whether suddenly there's a bright light. I, I don't know. It doesn't say, so we, we don't know. But something makes the soldiers fall on the ground when Jesus says, I am. That's what happens here. You see, it makes clubs and torches seem a bit laughable. <laughs> you see, the soldiers fall over and there's a power dynamic happening here. You see, you can't really have a revelation of who Jesus really is and have any other reaction. I don't think it's possible. All through scripture, God appears to people and they fall to the ground because they're in the presence of, they're in the presence of their creator. They suddenly realize there's something so much greater than I am. Here's the thing though, it's worth us noting this. I wanna remind you of this, that you can encounter Jesus, you can even experience his power, but miss him completely. Think about the experience of the soldiers. Something's happened here that makes them fall to the ground in the presence of Jesus, but they're not, they don't see him with eyes of faith. They actually, they actually get up, keep focused on their job, and keep doing what they, what they came to do. They miss the significance of who Jesus really is, even though they're on the ground, they got put to the ground. My friends, that can happen to us. It can do. People can experience the power of Jesus and still not understand who he really is. And Judas, even more so, it's tragic to be a disciple, to walk with Jesus and then betray him. Judas and Peter give a contrast, you see. Peter gets things wrong here and Peter goes on to deny Jesus. And yet Peter is restored through repentance and faith in Jesus. Judas, on the other hand, doesn't seem to have any faith. There is a relationship with Jesus. He is a disciple 
but he doesn't seem to trust in Jesus. He's full of regret later. We see that from the story. But you see, there's a big difference between regret and repentance. See, we can feel bad about what we've done, but the question is, will we come to Jesus and repent and say sorry for what we've done? That is repentance, trusting Jesus for forgiveness, coming to him to take our sins away. See, I am he, as Jesus says he is, is the only one that can forgive sins. Only Jesus can deal with guilt and shame. You have to come to Jesus. Peter came back to Jesus. Judas, Judas never did. You have to come on Jesus's terms and not your own. My question is, have you had a revelation of who Jesus really is? And if you have, are you still living in the good of it? So we've looked at Jesus being calm. We've looked at him saying, I am, and the response that happens. Third thing is, I'll just say this, the spiritual battle when I look at this passage. You see, Jesus has spoken, I am he. He has, and yet the world doesn't listen, does it? That's our experience 2,000 years later. The world doesn't submit to him. We live in a world of virtual Jesus, which is what this series is, where people imagine a Jesus who doesn't really exist, or they think they know him, or they think they know enough to reject him. And why is that? Well, because the Bible says that the world is actually that we live in is actually in darkness and ruled by the enemy of God. Satan has deceived humanity and humanity has been blinded to the glory of God, the truth of God, the light of the knowledge of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's the reality of the world we live in. You see, Satan mistakenly thought by killing Jesus, he might win a victory over God, but he was wrong. The death of Jesus Christ is actually the beginning of God's victory over Satan, not his defeat. But here's the thing. We have an enemy who refuses to quit. He refuses to admit he's beaten, even when the battle is beyond him and he can't ultimately win it. He hasn't given up. He won't give up on humanity. He's still fighting. And life is still a spiritual battle. I want to say, I feel it. And I think you feel it. You see, if you're a Christian, you must never forget that until Jesus comes again and the whole world sees the I am for who he really is, there will always be the equivalent of a band of soldiers who come at night. That's the experience of the Christian life. They come after us just like they came after Jesus. And when life gets tough uh, and then life gets tougher, or when you make a good faith decision, and your family seem to suffer, or you're hit financially in some way, or your health isn't what you thought it would be, when life is more of a struggle than it you think it should be, and it feels like you're wading through maybe uh, maybe swampy mud. I don't, I don't tend to do that too often. I, I think I did get caught in one once up near a mountain. It's not pleasant. You're having to use about 10 times the amount of effort to move forward a meter than you would if you're just walking on normal ground. Maybe that's what your life feels like now. It's like, oh, it's just hard to put a step forward. It just feels a struggle. It just feels difficult. 
don't forget, don't forget that they came after your saviour and my saviour with torches and clubs in the middle of the night. There wasn't anything fair about it. The enemy we have doesn't play fair. He gets friends to turn on friends in the dead of night. He loves betrayal. He doesn't play by any rules. And I would say this, if Jesus gets set upon, gets set up, betrayed, and hung up on a cross, my friends, I have to be real with you and say there will be seasons that it will feel like you and me and we have been set upon, betrayed and hung up, and that's part of following Jesus. But he's in control. He's calm. He's promised us ultimate victory. We come to my last point. The victor. The victor. The victor. That's what I see here. That's what we go on to see. This is the great I am. Don't forget that even when we feel, feel, don't always go on our feelings, we feel defeated, we feel like it's too difficult. Our saviour, Jesus, never failed. He never shrunk back. He completed everything that he was to do. He didn't turn and flee, didn't panic, didn't make decisions he regretted, didn't flinch when the enemy threw the worst they had at him. You see, a champion has arisen in, in heaven, the Bible says, that has taken down an enemy called death that was too strong for us. Jesus, he is the I am. He never lost sight of what his life and death and resurrection would achieve for us. In the midst of the struggle of life, in the midst of the struggle of the battle, spiritual battle that we know we face in our lives, we might lose sight of him sometimes. My firm belief is that he never loses us. He never loses sight of us. And we have to understand ourselves in the context of this fallen world, which is under the power of sin, which goes everywhere. But at the same time, also in the context of Jesus, who is the I am, rules over all things, and the Bible says now lives inside us if we accept him as our saviour. We have to walk through this fallen world, but we have the one who says, I am, who I am living within us. So we have to hold those two tensions together. We have to walk through life with that. You see, we live in a dark world where terrible, evil things happen all the time. They just do. But we should look upon the world, we should look upon the world and say what this world needs is not more powerful, charismatic leaders and greater weapons. What this world needs is a saviour, a rescuer, a redeemer. And Jesus comes and says, I am he. Look at the world. What about if we look upon ourselves with all our anxieties and all our weaknesses and all our distractions and all our sinfulness, we look at the fertility of life and we say, I need a saviour. And Acts 4.12 says, and there is salvation in no one else. There's no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. It's Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, yeah, I am he. I am the saviour of the world. And thirdly, we can look upon our future. So not just upon 
not just upon this world or ourselves, but we can look upon our future. Where is history heading? What about death and the end? What is our great hope beyond the grave? Who will take us beyond this broken world, beyond our broken selves and into life and life eternal? And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And Jesus says, yes, I am he. I am. I am all those things. I am the one who will lead you to victory and eternal life. Let me just summarize by saying this. Maybe you need to know today, right now, maybe you need to know in this moment that you have a savior who is calm in the midst of storms and crisis. Our tendency is just to get busier. You have a savior who's calm in the midst of crisis. You need to hear the words of Psalm 46. Be still and know, and know, and know that I am God. Maybe you've encountered Jesus in powerful ways. You know you have, you know something's happened, but you've actually missed who he really is, that he is the savior of the world and deals with the barrier of sin that exists between you and God. And no one else can take that away. And Jesus is actually fully God and fully man. You kind of missed it. You've missed how glorious he is. You missed who he really is. He's not just some powerful person. He's more than that. He's glorious beyond our understanding. He's the only one who can deal with the thing that separates us from God. Sin. Maybe you feel like your life's a real battle at the moment. And you need to know you have a saviour who understands what it's like. Who had soldiers come for him in the dead of night with betrayal involved. Maybe you need to remember that today that Jesus says, I am, or I am he, and he's the victor. He has ascended. He's completed what he came to do on earth. He's been given now the name that is above and more powerful than any other name. And he's returning one day to put everything right. And one day you will be with him. You'll see him face to face. And you'll be with him in glory forever.